Okay, well, if you're still making your way in, go ahead. If you just came in, maybe while I was praying, um, welcome. Glad you are here. Uh, we're joined together with not pretty much every Sunday school class except the little kids. Uh, Mike Abendroth is our guest speaker for the weekend. We had a conference yesterday, and he'll preach this morning. And so what we like to do on our conference weekends is to interview our speaker, dialogue with them a little bit. Some of you gave me some questions. Uh, I've got a whole list of questions. We're going to play Stump the Pastor is what we're going to do. That's easy. Um, <laughs> we're really not going to do that. But um, Mike has been pastoring West Boylston, Massachusetts at Bethlehem Bible Church since probably, I'm going to guess, since 1997. Since 1997. Uh, he's been married to Kimberly for how many years? 26. 20, see, he's doing good so far, right? 26. He has four kids. And their names are... We, we're not going to go into his whole resume here. But anyway, uh, tell us about your kids. <clears throat> I was trying to think of something funny to lead in with, but uh, I have Haley. She's 22, and she's at home going to community college. I have Luke. He's 19. He's in Jerusalem uh, studying with the Master's College now for a semester. Uh, I have Maddie and Gracie, 16 and 14. And Maddie's responsibility today is to, at exactly 2.05 p.m. Central Standard Time, to click on Southwest so I get an A seat. So there we go. How does that work? You know, I'm a 55-year-old man hovering over the computer, clicking Southwest.com so I can get an A seat. Because you know what the C seating means? C means center seat. That's what that means. So we don't want that. So. I told him we would pay the $15 as a church to go ahead and book that seat ahead of time. But anyway, he couldn't be bothered with that. We try to do double honor, right? I mean, we make him fly on Southwest. I guess that's not very honoring. Now you tell me. Wait, I think there's, I used some, to fly, I think there's uh, some Southwest employees in here, so I shouldn't have said anything that I just said. I used to fly Midwest Express, and they would make chocolate chip cookies, right? You could fly from Omaha, Midwest Express. Wasn't that the deal? I love that. See, I'm cheap, trying to cheap tell flight you that to L.A. I'm trying to tell you I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Nebraska person. I'm, I'm from Omaha. You know, this is my hometown, and, you dig? <laughs> so the one question that someone gave me this morning was a trick question. I didn't know the answer. We'll see if you know the answer. What do we see every day that God has never seen? I don't know. My femur? I, I have no idea. I thought, what is that? <laughs> so thanks for the question, Greg. His, God so, has never seen his equal. Oh, Okay, that's good. That's good theology. Uh, that was that's very like good. theology for uh -huh. breakfast kind of stuff. Okay, so how about this? Is it true that John MacArthur wears your suits? Oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> the very short response is, John and I have about the same build, and I knew a director, still know him in Los Angeles, and he films uh, a variety of things and has done some motion pictures, and he needed to film John MacArthur for a Q&A or something like that about... Uh, a biblical issue, and John showed up at the office just wearing casual clothes, maybe a polo shirt, and he forgot he was going to be on this interview, and he needed a suit, and so I got a phone call, and the phone call was, Mike, you're about the same size as MacArthur, can he borrow one of your suits? And so I just said, sure. And so I picked out my, my favorite suit, some, I don't know what it was, Calvin Klein or something, I wish I would have had a Hugo Boss or Armani, but I picked my favorite one out. And uh, used to get all my shirts laundered, 
But then as a seminary student, we couldn't afford laundering, so we have to wash our shirts at home. You feel better? I mean, it's my Nebraska education where I think the word different has two syllables. So do you. Different. Who are we? Different. Anyway, uh, so... Kim said, I, you know, I've done your, your shirts, they're, they're clean, but we haven't ironed them yet. And so here's this guy going to be over here in 10 minutes, and she's ironing the shirt because John wants a suit and a couple ties and a shirt. Uh, and so she's ironing the shirt, ironing the shirt, and this guy literally is running to my house. It's all hung up really nicely done, nice wool suit, not slim cut. And I see him running out to the car with the suit and with the shirt and with one arm all wadded up because we didn't have time to iron it. <laughs> there, we, there we go. So by the way, when John, uh, we filmed a, uh, uh, Pastor MacArthur, and it was from the neck up. <laughs> so then the next week I saw John on campus and I said, I heard you like polyester suits, leisure suits. <laughs> oh, okay, that was yours. So Anyway, uh, to this day, whenever I need the anointing and special... Uh, presence of the Spirit of God. I wear that suit and it's just, I just feel the unction. That's what I feel. Let's talk about No Compromise Radio. What's No Compromise Radio? Why do you do No Compromise? What's it all about? It was about six years ago we started. What's the tagline? Oh, the tagline is always biblical, always provocative, always in that order. And so I try to talk about biblical subjects just in a, in a straight-fashioned manner, and uh, we talk about all kinds of things. Mondays, it's a sermon that I preached on a Sunday. Tuesdays, I interview my associate pastor. Wednesdays, I interview uh, authors. I've interviewed your pastor a couple times. And uh, Thursdays, I talk about just something positive, you know, what's imputed righteousness, what's confession. I call it positive K-love Thursday, just nice things we talk about. <laughs> And uh, then Fridays, I usually talk about, well, you know, how could Joyce Meyer teach this, and that's bad, and we should learn this instead. And so it's uh, daily radio, 24 and a half minutes. We've been doing it for about six years. Now I have some YouTubes and things like that. And so the Lord has just blessed His Word. I mean, can you imagine a God taking His Word? And I think Paul said, you know, pray that the Word of God would run swiftly. And I remember MacArthur, he would always say, take care of the depth of your ministry. Make sure it's biblical. And then God will take care of how far it goes. And that's really what we need to work on is faithful stewardship, not how big we can grow a brand. But for whatever reason, God has blessed his word and lots of people listen and I'm encouraged by that. And so we'll keep going. No Compromise Radio. We're starting uh, uh, book publishing and stuff like that. So I'm just thrilled by uh, the Lord and what he will do. If you don't read biblical uh, uh, biographies of Christians, rather. You should. Two things will happen to you. Number one, you'll be encouraged. God can use a weak, frail sinner like that for his kingdom. I don't care if it's Mary Slessor. Do you know about Mary Slessor of Calabar? Who knows about her? Rescued 51 sets of twins in Africa. Uh, they would put twins out in the jungle because they were supposedly demon-possessed. And they would just get eaten by the, the animals there. And she rescued the Scottish lady, 51 sets of twins, and began to preach the gospel. You need to know about Mary Slester or Adoniram Judson. Who knows Adoniram Judson? If I say to you, Salem, Massachusetts, you say what? 
Witches. Shame on you. Who's your pastor? <laughs> Salem, Massachusetts is where Adoniram Judson, the first missionary for American soil, sailed off to preach the gospel in Burma. And so you read about these people and you think, God can use somebody like that, and I am weak. I'm sinful. I'm selfish. I'm prideful. But God can use me. God use me. And then also when I read biographies, I think, Lord, I think I need to put my head down and just get to the work of ministry more because uh, if these other people could do it energized by your spirit, I want to do that for you too. I've got one life to live. And so... Good. How about mean things people say to you on No Compromise? Because it seems to kind of bring it out of people. What's, what's some th- what are some things you've been called? <laughs> what haven't I been called? Uh, let's see. What's a good one? This wasn't through No Co, but I've been called the Unabomber. Remember him? I'm like shipped into Massachusetts, begin to teach the Bible, and then, you know, everybody's mad. I've been called Hitler. I've been called Stalin. I've been called Mussolini. I've been called Pat's brother. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and is there a common, a common thread that well, starts this off? I think the people that get mad at me the most are people that believe the King James Bible is the only Bible and every other translation is, is wicked. You can certainly prefer it. Lots of times I read it and think the King James, it's wonderful English. Uh, but there are other translations from the original language that are just fine and just excellent. And so King James only people get really mad at me. And so I remember I spoke in Branson, Missouri last year, and I preached on the doctrine of hell. And uh, it was a very sober, of course, topic and message. And a guy came up to me afterwards and said uh, that I was basically blaspheming. And I said, why? And he said, because you didn't use the King James Bible. And there's all kinds of people around who want to talk. And what about my loved ones? And what about this? Or, you know, I'm afraid to go to hell. Help me. And so I just looked at him and I thought, well, it's probably time to be just no compromise because this man's not going to listen. And I said, sir, can you tell me one thing that I said from the New American Standard and ESV that was wrong according to your King James Bible? And if you can't, you're dismissed. So he walked off. And so I just thought, how foolish. And we all do that with certain topics, don't we? We have our own little pet project. And if everybody else doesn't believe like we believe, uh, then we think wrongly. And so I think those uh, are the ones that say my skull on my desk that Chris Peterson made me get. Uh, I'm a Satanist. So if I'm a Satanist, what does that make Chris? I, I just don't know. I don't know. So when things like that happen, some of it's easy, water off the duck's back. As a pastor, what, what, are, the, what are the ones that hurt, that you feel burdened for people and heavy-hearted for people? Well, I, I feel the sting of the rebuke or the criticism. And half the time, you know, I probably deserve it because I'm just a pastor, right? We believe in the Reformation. It's the priesthood of all believers. And I, I, I don't wear, a, you know, a robe and, and uh, turn my back during communion. And I'm not some special person. So I sin. I have failings and, and weaknesses. So that part, I think, I just have to take. But then I feel sorry for the people, Pat, because I, I want people to have joy. I want people to have contentment. And no matter what your situation is, is in life, you can have joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. Strength. No matter what. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love. What's the second one? 
joy, no matter how bad life is, you could have joy. And so I want to help people and say, you know what, you could still have joy. And I'm, not, I'm really not your problem. I'm sovereignly placed here, uh, and I want to help you. But that bothers me. I, I, I get bothered when people say something about my wife or kids. You know, my kids have to act a certain way or my wife has to act a certain way. And I usually don't get very mad, but I probably would get mad and have to con- try to control myself, my anger, when people are blasting my wife or something. And I'm thinking, here she just serves like everyone else. And uh, I guess if you're on payroll, you could probably blast a little bit more and you just have to take it, but she's not on payroll, so. <laughs> Maybe we should turn to more positive things. Okay, Thursday, Love Thursday. <laughs> you're the best. God's lucky to have you. <laughs> I don't think we have See, that's K- my most popular show on Thursdays, for sure. I don't think we have K-Love here, do we? Do we have K-Love? See, I don't even know. K-Love is everywhere. I thought K-Love was a Southern California thing. You just turn on the radio, and when it sounds like Debbie Boone, you know you're on K-Love. <laughs> you light up my life. Sounds like the Nebraska coach's theme song, right? Doesn't it? Oh. I mean... We don't go there today. We definitely don't go there. <laughs> Remember what idolatry is. <laughs> Seriously, okay? Single people, I'd only be happy if I could be married. It's idolatry. I'd only be happy if I could be intimate. That's idolatry. I'd only be happy if Nebraska had Tommy Frazier. It's idolatry. (laughs) So thinking about yesterday and your messages where you spoke about these lies and how we're unrighteous and Christ is righteous and God is righteous, and we're held to a righteous standard. The question comes then, what is righteous? What is righteousness? If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 3. I want to answer that question quickly because there's lots of banter back and forth about righteousness. It's a very complex answer. Uh, We could think about Hebrew words and Greek words that mean righteous and just, and different authors use the words differently. But let's just talk about how Jesus uses it quickly because I think that helps us with the whole righteousness of Christ issue. Matthew chapter 3. Of course, remember, whenever you open your Bible, you should say to yourself, we're going to Matthew. What's Matthew about? If you were in my discipleship class, I would make you memorize the theme of every book of the Bible. Why? So when you turn to Matthew, you think, oh, yeah, this is the book of the king. This is the book written to Jewish people to talk about the Messiah because then it makes it easier to understand everything in the book. So if I were to say to you, Esther, you should be able to tell me what Esther is about. Or Obadiah. What's Obadiah about? Anybody know? Who can tell me what Obadiah is? Say Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) So we turn to Matthew about this great book of the king. And the way Jesus describes righteousness... He describes righteousness first in chapter 3. He describes it as adherence to the Mosaic law, doing what Mosaic law says to do. That means you're doing the right thing. And then later in Matthew 5, he describes it as doing what he says to do, the commands of Jesus. And so let's just quickly look. John, uh, excuse me, Mark, uh, Luke, Matthew chapter 3. Verse 13, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, 
permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Is that what the ESV says? Same thing. To fulfill all righteousness. What Moses says to do, that's what we need to do. I know you don't want to do that, John. I know you know I'm righteous in and of myself and that I'm God, but this is what Mosaic law commands. Now, skip over two chapters to chapter 5, and uh, Jesus expands righteousness not only to doing what Mosaic law says, but also to what Jesus himself, uh, if you want to call Jesus the second Moses, you could. What does he say, Matthew 5, 17? But do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And now for our discussion this morning. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So for the kids in the front row, if I say, what's righteousness? You say, what is it? Okay, all together now. Here's how I always teach my kids. What's the root word of righteousness? Right, okay, good. And so when you do the right thing, okay? How do you know what the right thing is? Pardon me? Okay, you have a conscience, good. And that conscience is informed by what the Bible says. So you do what the Bible says, you do the right thing, and you have, uh, you're doing righteous things. And we know ultimately, though, there's only one who has completely honored his parents, never lied, never lusted, never disobeyed any of the law of God, kept it all, and his name is... I'm sorry. There you go. I thought you said Pontius. <laughs> Who's the Sunday school teachers around here? <laughs> Pontius. You're right. Thank you. All right. Good. I think it's important that we remember righteous is tied to justification. So to be declared righteous is to be justified. And what is that? It's forensic. It's in God's court of law that this happens. We're declared righteous. We're declared right, if you're going to use that. Always in relationship to the judge. Now, I don't see any young boys here in the front row, of course, uh, just the young ladies. But if I was teaching the young boys, I would say, you know, when you think of righteousness, you should think of alien. You know, think of, an, think of alien. What's an alien? Well, in, in theological conversation, we like to talk about Jesus' righteousness as alien righteousness. Why do we talk about it that way? He's certainly not an alien, um, but it's different from us. It's pure and holy, and so it's not like our righteousness because even our righteousness is like filthy what? Rags. Everything we do is tainted by sin, and nothing Jesus ever did was tainted by sin. And so we call it forensic. That's judicial. We call it alien as well. Alien righteousness. That sounds pretty cool, huh? I mean, I I said yesterday, John 8, where Jesus said, I always do what's pleasing to the Father. I mean, who talks like that? Who could do that? Maybe some people talk that way, but who could actually do that? Remember the father uh, during the transfiguration? This is my beloved son in whom I'm what? Well pleased. He's just the one who's always pleasing to the father. And think about the standards of the father and his holy standards and his righteous standards, yet Jesus always 
obeys the Father. And so to get to heaven, you have to be sinless. You have to be perfect. One sin breaks the glass pane. One time I was running from building to building at University of Nebraska at Lincoln. It was raining. I think I was a sophomore or a freshman. And I would run full steam to the building and then stop to go inside because it was pouring. I mean, it was raining. And one time I slipped and my feet went up like that and through the full glass door I went and uh, hurt my leg and had to go to... Where do they, Walter, where do they sit you up on campus? Health center. Health center? Yeah, I had some like 16-year-old doctors and stuff. What's a, what's a stitch? Yeah, I've stitched up a turkey before on Thanksgiving. I mean, my, my leg is mangled to this day. Anyway... When I went through that, the entire thing broke. And, of course, doesn't James talk about that? When you break one law, it's like breaking them all, right? How many times do you have to spit in the king's face before he banishes you? All right. Let's talk about, let's talk about Romans 5. As far as yesterday, you spoke on Romans 5, and some folks here were there, some weren't. What the elect makes, were here. The elect. <laughs> What makes Romans 5.12 so revolutionary, so important, so vital? And if you have to explain it as simply as you possibly can in less than a minute, how do you explain it? Well, Romans 5.12, I'll read the verse. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so the theological war is with those last two words of Romans 5.12, all sinned. What does it mean, all sinned? And so what Paul is trying to say in Romans chapter 5, 1 to 11, Jesus' work affects a lot of people. There's a representative. How can one man earn salvation for so many people? Right? He's only one man. Now, we could explain it this way. Why is Jesus both God and man? And you guys on the front, gals in the front, what? is Jesus man? Okay, is he God? Which one is he? Oh, nice, getting better. And uh, Jesus is fully man because he has to be our representative, right? God has required law to be kept to get to heaven, do this and live. But since we can't fulfill the law... Somebody else has to, and his name is Jesus. So I like to talk about his representative work. We are very big in our theological circles on Jesus died as a substitute, but not so much Jesus was a representative. So he's a substitute to die for our sins. We know he, he was efficient as his substitutionary atonement showed by his resurrection from the dead, but this is all about representation. What he did affected a lot of people. And what Paul says basically is this. Other people have affected a lot of people, like Adam. What Adam did affected a lot of people negatively. What Jesus did affected people positively. So he's trying to make you to think about the world through two men. If you think of the Bible through two men, two Adams, you'll think rightly. First Adam sinned. We got credit for his sin. Uh, we, we weren't, in a sense, in the garden or anything like that, and I didn't do it. He did it. It affected us because God believes in representation. Then that second Adam, thankfully, the good news is God could have left us that way like he did the angels. But God then said Jesus is a federal representative and what he does can do more than what Adam did, that is, forgive sin, give righteousness. And so if I had to summarize 
Romans 5, I would just say there are two atoms, and each atom affects others. And one atom did something negative that affected many. Jesus did something positive that affected many. And so it's the tale of two atoms. Good book title. I think it actually is a book title. I think title. it is, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's helpful. So, I, think, I think I interrupt Pat. We play some kind of game. I start a sentence. He has to finish it. You know how married couples, you can almost anticipate what your spouse will say. Pat and I are so theologically similar and similar in terms of other things. We could probably just do that We game. probably could. We probably shouldn't, but we probably could. And I know this is Pat's interview, but... Uh, <laughs> but he is the older brother, and this is how he functions. It has been so neat. This is I why just... our families don't vacation together, by the way. It's been so neat uh, just to watch the Lord's working in the Abendroth family. I just think, you know, God, you are so generous. You are so gracious. God loves to save people. He displays his glory by showing his kindness to people that don't deserve it. And some people don't have a, a physical brother. And I think, I have a brother, right? If you don't have a brother, maybe you think, I, I wish I had a brother. And then to think I have a brother who's a Christian, Pat and I both got saved right after our father died 26 years ago of cancer. He was my age when he died, and Pat got saved in uh, Nebraska. I was out in Los Angeles. And then I think, I have a brother who's born again, right? You have family members who aren't saved, and you think, I love them, and just if they could only be born again. And then to think Pat and I went to the same seminary and have same theologies, and what if Pat was, you know, some kind of crazy faith healer or something, and here I am, and yet... He is crazy, but he's not a faith healer, and here I am. But I'm just telling you, I just want to praise God uh, in front of Omaha Bible Church. God loves to save people. If you've got unbelieving family members, often and regularly, God just saves one, then the next, then the next. And we, we can't force him to do any of that, but he's very pleased to save folks. And I just think, you know, uh, they'd ask my mom when she was alive, uh, how did you... Raise your sons in such a way they would both be Bible-teaching pastors. And her answer was, I didn't really have anything to do with it. I mean, humanly speaking, she was a wonderful mom, but uh, I just think, you know what? It's pretty fun to have a younger brother like Pat who will get up and preach the Word, and if I don't, he'll get after me. So. Maybe it was because she listened to Jim Jimmy Swaggart in the morning when we were eating breakfast. <laughs> So on the radio, I don't know if it was K-O-I-L or something, we're on the way to school, we would listen to Chuck Swindoll and Jimmy Swaggart. <laughs> and I remember on the way home, I didn't care who we listened to as long as I got home for the Batman cereal because <laughs> it was the same bad time and I needed to get home. And then we'd watch the dating game and eat ho-hos or something. <laughs> I think it's so, how so many ho-hos and tinfoil can you eat? A lot. <laughs> So yesterday, it was kind of funny. I, <clears throat> it wasn't funny going to the wedding. Mark and Vicky aren't here, are they? They got married yesterday? Anyway, um, so backyard wedding, Mark Paulson gets married, and his mom Jan is there. And Jan, uh, the Paulsons, if you know Mark Paulson, he's part of OBC, um, they live like two backyards over from us. Remember their dog boots? I do. Big, anyway. Bites. <laughs> so anyway, the funny thing in our neighborhood was, uh, the Paulsons were super nice and everything, but they're the weird family because they go to church all the time. And so it's like the, 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 like the weirdo nice Paulsons. And what's with the weirdo nice Paulsons? None of us can figure it out because we're pagans. It was amazing. We lived across the street from St. James Catholic Church, but we were Lutherans and many were Lutherans there. 
And there was this family, the Paulsons. And here's how weird they were. Here's how, like, extreme they were. They went to Sunday night service after Sunday morning's attendance. <laughs> Who does that? They've already been. I mean, you already threw God a bone. Come on. And then the other did, did something else that's so weird. Before Sunday night service, if you were at their house, you ate cereal for dinner. <laughs> I'm like, that's what we do at our house. <laughs> Kids eat whatever, you know. And uh, Mark Paulson got cancer. I think he was probably 14 years old. I don't know the exact time. Going to die. They brought me in. I was a friend. He probably was down to 60 pounds or something like that. And I'd never seen anybody sick and about ready to die. And then I thought, here's this weird Bible-believing family again. Before I left, they put their hands on Mark Paulson and began to pray that God would heal this young man. God did. And I just think, you know what? They weren't the weird ones. I was. It was fun talking to Jan yesterday at the wedding and just saying, you guys were the weird family, and now I'm the weird family. (laughs) I mean, it's just like God's grace. It's pretty good. Yesterday when you were speaking on Romans 1 and helping us to understand that it's easy to see how other people are bad because we're not like them, um, and super helpfully working through chapter 2 and then into 3 that we're all sinners, but you mentioned uh, how we should love homosexuals even though they're different and even though we know it's sinful, um, that we should do that. So then the question came yesterday, so then... If we're to love them, and I know you actually do because of your neighbors, um, what about weddings? Do you go to their weddings? What do you do? Well, the context of Romans 1 yesterday, God, uh, through Paul, spotlighted a particular sin when a culture has been given over. First it's sexuality, then it's homosexuality, then it's just a mind that won't work right. You know what I think about when I say that? You need to get your mind right. Who knows what I'm talking about when I say you need to get your mind right. Who, who said that? Cool hand Luke, of course. Come on, it's theology for breakfast. So to get your mind right about these things, you see how God is, is giving them over. Chapter 1, verse 24, he gave them over. 26, gave them over. And the final refrain, gave them over. It's terrifying. It's foreboding. And then, of course, he says in chapter 2, if you, if you know that kind of lifestyle is so wicked, uh, then you don't have any excuse either because you need the righteousness of God. You're a lawbreaker. I'm a lawbreaker. And so then how do we end up loving those folks? And uh, the old Mike Abendroth, I think I used to hate homosexuals. I don't think I knew many in Nebraska at the time growing up and graduating high school in 1978 at Northwest. Maybe they were too afraid. Maybe it was just kind of a football culture or something that nobody was uh, willing to admit it. Um, But God saved me, and I realized I have a different heart for people now. I want to be like Jesus. He loved sinners. Of course he told them the truth. But he just loved sinful people. And by the way, I'm super glad because I was super sinful and still am, and God graced me. And so we have... Moved into a neighborhood 11 years ago. All kinds of different folks, lots of church folks. And our neighbors across the street, two lesbian ladies, are our best neighbors. And we try to love them the most. And we try to, we're friends with them. Uh, When uh, one was having surgery, she said, would you please come and visit me? And I said, as a pastor, she said, yes. I said, I will read the Bible and pray for you. She said, okay, come. So I remember when I walked into the room, and uh, uh, her, her partner doesn't really... 
She likes us but doesn't want to hear anything about the Bible. She kissed her partner and left so we could talk. And we're just making small talk. And finally, my friend, she said, well, aren't you going to talk about the Bible? Okay. My wife's here. I said, you know, Kathy, what's your favorite psalm? She said, oh, that's easy. Psalm 22, the Lord is my shepherd. (laughs) And I said, well, you know what? I'm glad you know the Lord is my shepherd, but that's Psalm 23. And I said, I don't even need to open my Bible. Psalm 22, Jesus said the verses, the words in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then I explained substitutionary atonement. I explained that uh, the Lord Jesus never called the Father anything but Father, except at this time, because now Jesus is getting sins judged on him, and the Father, as it was, turns away. And I explained the whole thing, and she said, that's so sad. It's sad that Jesus had to do that. Well, she's still not a believer now, but we have a great relationship. We talk about the Lord a lot, and... uh, I mean, my heart, I, and this is all God's working, because I'm not trying to tell you I'm some great guy. But I'm just thinking, I, I love her. One day I called my wife. She was in California. I said, I just want you to know, honey, uh, it was in public, and it was in the middle of the street, but I just gave some, a, a woman a hug and kissed her on the cheek. Just wanted to let you know, fessing up. And I said, it was my neighbor, Kathy. I love her. I love them. And so I want to make sure we don't turn into this us and them, and they're so wicked, and we're not, and uh, we need to be very kind to them. And to answer Pat's question, I think they might be married because I think it was 2005, Massachusetts was the first state to have gay marriage legalized. If they would say, Mike, would you please do the wedding? I would say, I cannot. Would you please attend the wedding? I would say, I cannot. I love you, but this is not a wedding. And so I cannot attend. I cannot show any support. It's not a celebration. I know it's probably going to cause a conflict, uh, but I'm just going to have to allow that to happen because my wife and children uh, believe what the Bible teaches, and marriage is so important because not because of marriage, but because it reflects Ephesians 5, Christ loving the church. And so we cannot. We love you. We want what's best for you, and uh, we can't do it. If you go to gay weddings, you should stop. If you go to homosexual weddings, you should stop because you're going there to say, I agree with what's going on. And then you say, yeah, but I'm going to have to tell them they're going to get mad. That, that's right. That's right. And so are you a man pleaser or a God pleaser? So that's where the rub comes. You say, well, I've already been to one and now I'm, I'm, I wish I wouldn't have gone. Well, God is very forgiving. You just ask God for forgiveness, and then don't do it again. Shifting gears, because we're running out of time. Getting Uh, hot in here, man. uh Let's talk about preaching, since you have opportunity to help preachers, two different seminaries. Um, One piece of advice that preachers need to hear that they have a hard time hearing. If you can say one thing to preachers, what are you going to say? You get a minute. Okay. Well, then I'll do the more than one. As, soon, as long as they're, they're trying to preach from the text and all that stuff, I regularly now say to them, I mean, assuming they believe in inerrancy and all that, I just say, I want to hear about Jesus today. I don't want to pull him out of verses that he's not in, right? A dog returns to its own vomit and a, a sow to its own mire. Where's Jesus in that verse? Anybody? He's not in that verse. So I'm not hyper-Lutheran about it. But can you talk about Jesus in light of that verse? 
Can you imagine? I mean, what I do with my kids and my dog. Pat has a dog, Ozzy. Ozzy don't like me. No likey. But my dog, Jetty, so much more godly. You know, dogs don't go to heaven. Ozzy doesn't go to heaven. My dog might just go, though. Anyway, when my dog, Jetty, when she throws up, I don't let any kids clean it. And I just say, it's time to watch and learn from Solomon. And Jetty's like... That's us with sin. You ever been unthankful? You ever had contentment? You ever been angry with your wife and you're like, you know, I hate that. And then all of a sudden, five days later, there we go again. And how patient is God? How loving is God? Jesus paid for all those sins. Of, and I just think, you know what? I can talk about Jesus from that. I want the people to see authorial intent. But I want people to talk about Jesus because if you don't talk about Jesus, you'll end up talking about yourself or somebody else. I'm impressed with Jesus, the God-man, who can touch lepers and he doesn't get defiled and they are made new. Sorry, more than one minute. Awesome. Okay, last question would be with preaching as well because we should just end on that note. We we ended a quarter till, right? Ten till? All right. Ever since we changed the times around here, I don't even know when church starts. It's pretty much how it goes, right? Right? Who would have a church start at 1015? I don't know. The one thing I would say to pastors and preachers is make sure you know the church times. More importantly, right, make sure you know when you're supposed to be done. (laughs) And seriously, Pat and I talk about this all the time. Pastors, you know, uh, occasionally there's an exception. You go 58 minutes or this or that. But these young guys and they're thinking, I'm going to be godly. MacArthur preaches for 60 minutes. So do I. I'm just thinking the number that starts uh, with four is what you need to preach. 41, 45, that's plenty enough. I'd rather have the people go, I can't wait till next week. Or that hour went by super fast versus... The guy can't land the plane. Please have a conclusion. Tell me to walk the aisle and sit down. Come on. Seriously, just to preach too much. If you teach Sunday school, God bless you. Teach about Jesus. And when it says 945, you know, and the kids are all squirrely and all that, just land the plane. Whew. People are going to start applauding. It's pretty funny. So, how about... How I think about, my sermon today actually goes a little over 45. How about advice for listening to sermons? Well, you know, it's very fascinating to me when Paul is uh, telling Timothy in 2 Timothy, his swan song before he dies, Timothy, in light of Jesus, the judge, preach the word, right? By the way, it's fascinating because earlier in chapter 3, he talks about sacred writings and he talks about all scripture. So why doesn't he say, preach the sacred writings? Preach the, the, the scripture, he says, preach the word because you should be thinking to yourself, I think it's Christ-centered word. In the beginning was the word. But anyway, uh, he says, preach the word in season, out of season. Okay, that means pastors should be preaching in season, out of season. I should be ready to hear the word what? In season, out of season. I kind of inverse those preaching commands to say, if the pastor is supposed to preach with great patience, how should I listen? Yeah, pastor, I already know what justification. I already know righteousness. You talk about it all the time. But if he's patiently supposed to teach these truths, I should be patient to listen to these truths because I'm prone to forget. Uh, preaching uh, with, with uh, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and what? Instruction. 
instruction. That's where we get the word doctrine. Pat's told to preach with doctrine, so if I'm sitting in the congregation, I should be thinking, this is going to be doctrinal today. I've got to buckle up, and I should want to have doctrine because that's the way God's preachers are supposed to preach. That's how I should listen. So I think if you take notes, it's very helpful. I think if you're engaged and you have your Bible, I think if you turn your phone to airplane mode so you're not tempted to check texts and emails and all that stuff. I'd never do that, by the way. I mean, I'd turn it off, but... One time I was falling asleep in the front row of Grace Community Church, and John MacArthur was here preaching, and I stayed up all night. I was working like two shifts and stuff, and I'm in the front going, okay, I'm falling asleep in front of John MacArthur. It's like, didn't I wear your suit? <laughs> and so we all struggle with those things. But I know people, they work double shifts and they show up and they stand up in the back. And it's like, I want to listen. You know, you think about in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, and you think about Ezra and people standing up, listening to the Word of God for hours. Like, this is better than my normal food. I want to learn the Bible. And so to Omaha Bible Church, I commend you for loving the Bible. And by the way, thanks for loving my brother, but I know you do that because he preaches Christ. And when he doesn't, That's when you walk.